mandate you to bow down. I'm on your side. By branding you as a rebel. But you're not. A traitor. This isn't freedom. This is fear. are not the government. The government is not us. This is the Welcome, welcome, welcome to Dean O Files. Recorded on this, the 25th day of September 2021. Today's a Saturday. It's been a long time, but I'm back. And I'll explain in a later episode why it's been such a long time. Because I want to get to this interview as quickly as possible. I think this might be one of the more important interviews that I've ever done. Maybe the most important. It's an interview with Jeff Perry of Voluntarism in Action. This is a, a charity that is sort of rooted in the ideas of voluntarism and, and uh, the idea that we don't need the government to help one another. That it's not necessary that we have that in place. That we can do it ourselves. We can help each other. Um... True to my word, uh, after after this interview was done, I went on and I signed up to give these these guys uh, ten bucks a month. I don't know why I wasn't doing it already. Uh, I already followed them on Twitter. I have for a long time. I don't know why I wasn't already giving them money, but I am now. Made up made a burned up a privacy card and and put it on there, and that's going to get hit every month now for ten dollars. Um, and I I suggest you all do the same. This is uh, this this was such a good interview. It's such a cool project, Voluntarism in Action. It's, it is such a cool project, the idea that you can have a charity that's sort of based on these ideas of freedom and of sort of mutual cooperation. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I love this interview. <laughs> um, so, without further ado, Jeff Perry, how are you doing today, man? Hey, Dean, I'm doing all right. Thanks very much. It's great to finally talk with you. I know this has been in the works for a while. Yes, we've been talking about doing this on Twitter for quite a while. But, uh, you know, like I said on the uh, I was on a, the, an episode of Slurp Gang recently and I was saying like there's there's been a lot of life shit that's happened that's caused me to kind of put the show on the back burner for a while. But I moved. I'm in a new place. I'm in a situation where I've got a little bit more free time, and so I think uh, it's a great time to bring it back, and I'm happy to bring it back with you. I'm happy to have you here for uh, for that episode, bringing it back. Thank you. I'm happy we could finally get together. I think it was the beginning of the year we started talking about it. Oh, now it was. October, Halloween, almost here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The... Uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm glad we can finally do it, and I wanted to say I'm I'm, I'm I will have mentioned earlier that you are sort of the I don't know what's your position. What do you call yourself at VIA Voluntarism Voluntarism in Action? Well, technically, I'm the publishing manager, 
of volunteerism in action. And what that means practically is that I run the media stuff, the articles that we post on the website, the video stuff that we put out, the audio. I manage all of that, write and record a lot of it as well. All right. Um, now, volunteerism in action, give me sort of the, what's sort of, a, I, I'm, I'm sure that some people haven't heard of this, regardless of the fact that I think most of Liberty Twitter sort of follows uh, your page, but I'm sure there are people who don't. What is volunteerism in action exactly? Well, we're the Liberty Movement's effort to save the world voluntarily. We started as an offshoot. Oh, I like that. Of, oh, yeah. that's really good. <laughs> uh, we started actually as an offshoot of being libertarian, just kind of like as a side project, them. And Logan Davies, our executive director, uh, who's still part of being libertarian, he thought, wow. Yeah, I see, I see being libertarian around. Yeah, they're, they're big. But uh, Logan Davies, he said, you know what, this this is really important. This deserves to be something more. So we kind of took it, made it its own thing, made it a, a 501c3. So it's a legitimate uh, yes. nonprofit. All the legal charity. ducks are in a row. Yeah. Yes, uh, that takes up a lot, of, a lot of time. Let me tell you, there's stuff he has to file every month to keep it legal. And it's crazy. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that, and that's one of the things that can bite charities in the ass is 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 not kind of keeping that paperwork uh, up to date. But it seems like you guys do good. I pulled you up. I, I did a lookup uh, for the charity, and it seems like you guys are you're legit. You're listed as a five hundred one c three. You're listed yeah, by yeah. the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know how I feel about that, but of course. Oh, we, well, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, we wish ideally it wouldn't have to be that way at all because we do have to devote you know, quite a bit of time every month to filling out the paperwork to keep everything legal, which is a letdown because then that's stuff that we resources that we can't donate to actually helping people, but it's better than the organization getting shut down by the government for who knows what, if you don't right. dot every I and cross every T they'll find a way to get you sometimes even then. Yeah. But, it's, it's, it's one of those, like I said, that can, that can bite charities, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm very happy to see that you guys are keeping your ducks in a row because the work is important. Um, it's, it's very important work. This idea that you can sort of apply voluntarist principles to charity work is something that comes up in arguments with, uh, uh what do we call them? Statists or whatever. Uh, people will say, well, well, how do you feed the hungry? How do you, how do you feed hungry kids? How do you house the homeless? How do you do all of these things that, that the answer generally that, that, that I, I think I have to give, if not most of us have to give, is that, look, charity is something that humans want to do. It's something that, that we like doing. We're a pro-social species, and so that should kind of line itself out. What is kind of your response to that sort of questioning? What having something that you can hold up and say, look, this is what we do. That's a great question. How do people respond to that? I guess is the question. Well, there, I guess there's three main responses. Some of them, usually people who are already a Liberty minded are like, yeah, yeah, this is amazing. We can do it on our own. And then some other people who maybe, uh, 
normies who have never thought about something like this before, like, huh, that's really neat. You know, maybe, maybe we could have more of that. That sounds really good. And then some people who are usually a more hardcore um, statist, as you say, on either side, uh, on the leftist or the right, just say, oh, no, no, we've got to have the government to do this and this and this, or, well, private charity is good for some things, but it can't do X, Y, Z. So, but I think that the more, the more we put behind this, and especially the more government gets out of the way, we can see more and more things being provided through private charity or through a private enterprise generally. And I think the very existence of VIA is proof that that can happen. That's, that's one of the many great things about it is this idea that you can just point to it and say, what do you mean we're doing it? I mean, it's, it's already happening. So the, all these questions about like, well, what would you do in this situation? We've already, it's already happening. Look at it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have to, I don't have to give you theory. I don't have to feed you theory. I don't have to feed you, uh, you know, uh, Robert, uh, Robert, I believe his name, Robert writes the moral animal and tell you why humans are charitable sort of by default. I don't have to feed you that line because I can just point and say, look, it's, it already exists. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really amazing how generous people can be, especially, especially if you go about wording things correctly to make them feel good about helping other people because yeah you don't people don't like seeing other people suffer they naturally feel sorry for them and if you give them an easy way to help that person and make them feel good about it there are very few people who won't contribute something even if it's just liking or retweeting a couple dollars you know a can of food every every little thing adds shelter. up shelter yeah yeah it really does and another, another big thing that private charity, whether it's VIA or another organization has on its side, is we don't help to create the problem in the first place, unlike the state does. You know, we don't pay farmers to not grow crops and then pay people to be on welfare. That's not something that a private organization can do. But it's something or, that the or subsidize do. corn to the point that it like actively affects food production in a negative way. Mm -hmm. um, things like that 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 is just you can't do if you're a private organization yeah. because you don't not only because you don't have the means but because you don't have the power. It's private. It's voluntary. You can't hold a gun to somebody's head and say this is how the system is going to work. Mm -hmm. yeah, we did we did a great episode of the show with Per Bieland, who's a professor of economics, and talked a lot about the economics of private charity and how that was really neat. And he said that even if someone in the government has good intentions, the incentives are always just a little bit skewed. So even if they try to do the right thing, and even if sometimes good happens, there's always some negative that happens from government action as well. The incentive structures generally end up flipped on their head. That's something you notice if you look at education in particular. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you look at the way that education functions, the, the incentive structure is so backwards 
to what what we should actually be thinking of as like what are good outcomes of education. Well, the education system has no interest in that list of things, the ability to think critically, the ability, I mean, reading, writing, and arithmetic, the basic stuff. But even beyond that, the whole thing is focused on this idea of, I, I was training to be a teacher, and this is where I saw a lot of this occur. And also with my mom, who was a teacher my whole life, um, or has been, she, I, the incentives that exist for the bureaucracy of education are entirely upside down from what you would think they should be. Mm-hmm. And this is also the case. I'm, I'm, we were just talking uh, about the fact that so mu- so much of your resources goes to just trying to keep the government off your back. Yeah. And those are resources that could be better spent helping people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't I don't see how that can be considered a good thing. <laughs> no, no. And I was I was thinking too that it seems maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong because you seem to have more experience in the school system. But it seems to me from what I see that if the score test scores of the kids are lower, well, the response is, well, we need more money in order to bring them up. So it seems like there's kind of a perverse incentive that when test scores are low, you get more funding. And when you actually do a good job, you get less funding. Is that accurate or is that a misconception? That incentive absolutely does exist. But the other, the flip side of that is there are incentives to uh, having higher test scores. Though there are there are certain uh, okay, incentives in the structure for that. But here's here's how that gets ruined: <laughs> is that instead of focusing on teaching the material, or rather on teaching kids methods by which they can. Look, I'm I'm a guy who I was I was raised to sort of think first and know later. Um, I I was raised to sort of think about things before uh, things that I don't know, just trying to think through it and figure it out, and then check that work right. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of critical sk- thinking skills that people talk about. That's okay. that's right, instead of that just, was right instead of learning a formula. And then this is how it works, trying to think through it first. Instead of learning things by rote, this is what I do. This is how I solve this kind of problem. Hmm, Right. And and this is something that that is antithetical to the system of incentives that's set up in education. The system of incentives in education, you just mentioned one side of it, which is that people get rewarded for failure. Um, The other side of it is that success, our metric for success, is these stupid tests that measure nothing. Hmm. Um, so the incentives that exist to do well on the test are, are an incentive to do poorly at everything else. Cause those tests don't measure anything useful. Um, the, the, the standardized testing that we, we did, or at least I, I, I grew up in Texas. I had to take a standardized test every year um, up until middle school, in which case it was every other year at that point. Those tests don't measure anything except for how good you are at taking tests. And I know that because I can take a test not knowing half of what's on it and still do very well <laughs> because it's it's all multiple choice mm-hmm. unless you're writing about something. And I was always a reader anyway. My mom was an English teacher. I was never going to have a hard time writing that. But that's a circumstantial thing. That's not the school systems. That's not to the school system's credit. That's my circumstances. Right, right. 
Hmm. So that, that incentive gets perverted too, because they're teaching you to, to, to take a test full of information that you're never going to use, half of which is wrong. Um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember your middle school history classes, but they're not, uh, they're not good <laughs> as far as history is concerned. Uh, I believe it. So yeah. Anyway, that all of that to say, the incentive structures, even when they try to incentivize the right thing, they do it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and this is true, really, if you dig into any sort of government program, you just mentioned paying people not to plant food. Um, that's a program that I'm familiar with, <laughs> mm. is this idea of leaving, leaving land fallow that could be farmland and getting a check. Um, there's also... Uh, there are incentives like that. Well, I mentioned corn earlier. Well, now we feed all the beef with corn because corn is so heavily subsidized. It's the cheapest food source you can get for beef cattle. Well, mm -hmm. beef cattle aren't designed to digest corn. So now we have these beef cattle that we have to slaughter before they get so full of bacteria, they're not usable. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then the fatty acid profile of the beef is uh, less healthy than it could be if they were eating alfalfa or other greens. And then yeah. that affects heart disease and other diseases in humans who eat it. And it's just a cascading yeah. effect. That... So the point, I, I feel we've made our point. Every time the government gets involved, the incentive structure is totally off balance oh. every single time. I, I think you'd be very hard pressed to find a situation where that's not the case. Yeah. Um, and then you can contrast it. I mean, we have one of our ongoing initiatives is our education fundraiser. And for that, it, we usually ramp it up around this time of year because more people are starting school. And it's, it's focused more on homeschooling and unschooling, but we don't completely cut out low-income public school families because uh, they, they need help too sometimes. But Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I, I, I grew up on the free lunch program, man. I was I, We did not have a lot of money when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's, that's one of those things that... You, it's good that you don't forget about that group just because it's public school, because that's not the focus. The focus is helping people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the generally speaking, there is no group that's more interested in the success of children than their parents. And we've done several presentations. We talked with Carrie McDonald about how how most people think that homeschool is just this big thing that they can't do on their own and they have to trust the professionals to do it and how that's just not the case. We try to give them resources, both monetary and supplies, as well as the background information so they can have confidence to execute homeschooling. And then circling back around to the incentives for private charity, you know, we send out, often they'll send us you know, pictures with their kids you know, holding the books and and the other stuff that they got, playing on the electric keyboard and learning how to do that. And then people get to see the effect of their donations in these kids' lives. They get to see them making a difference. And that's more likely to solicit further donations from people in the future. Is that, I'm looking at, is that what your pinned tweet is right now? Is one of those pictures from one of those kids? Yes, yes. I just love that smile on that kid's face. It's so nice. <laughs> it warms my heart, man. Um, it's yeah. really, really nice. Yeah, he's a cute kid. So we, we always love it when when parents are willing to do that. It takes it takes a bit of bravery on their part, you know, admitting that 
that they took the help and, you know, this is my kid, but wow, the effect is just great. It's, it's a glorious thing to see. I, I do want to ask you, I see that this is, uh, that this is your pin tweet is, uh, related to that education issue, but you guys do other things too. Can you, can you walk me through sort of, at least on a surface level, sort of some of the things that VIA yeah. does? Yeah, absolutely. So we have some ongoing initiatives. One of them like I mentioned is the education initiative where we try to help families with children who are trying to learn. Another is community development, where we just have some money set aside to be able to help lift people up and lift their communities. And that could be money going to your know, local soup kitchen or a local charity that's involved with the town, with the actual people. We have our urgent needs. That's the name of it. And that's some money set aside for you know, people who come to us and say, hey, I need I don't have enough money to cover my bills this month. I don't have any food. If I don't pay rent, I'm going to get kicked out. And we've got some money set aside to help folks with that. The fourth of our our set initiatives is partner with Kids Compassion Charity in Sierra Leone to help out a village there, a local charity that works in Sierra Leone helping a village. I that one's fun because it's kind of the classic, you know, help help these poor children in Africa, but we we send money to them via Bitcoin. So the money goes straight over to the charity that's on the ground there, bypass all of the government nonsense, not filtering to... through anyone who can skim off the top. It's exactly. it's going right to the charity that you guys work with on the ground. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so that one, I like that one a lot because it's got, it's got the classic charity element of oh, help, help the starving kids in Africa, but also right. the very modern and liberty minded. We're doing this with Bitcoin to get around all of the, uh, all of the layers that the different states try to put over that. Utilizing crypto to sort of cut out the middleman. Exactly. Exactly. So those are our our main standard initiatives. And we also, as emergencies and disasters come up, we usually start up a charity, like a a mini charity drive to generate some funds to help those. Uh, For instance, the Hurricane Ida was the most recent one that we did. And those, we were smaller. So we usually try to jump on things that get more publicity from the mainstream media then people have heard about it and they're more likely to notice the campaign and contribute more funds, which is good. It's the, and, it's, but. Well, it's, it's one of those things you kind of have to do. It's, it's like search engine optimization. It's one of those things where it's like, look, if, if it helps other people, the more people know about you and the more people can know about you, the better that is for everyone. So it's one of those things where you have to sort of make those decisions to do things that are going to get you discovered. Um, that's the discoverability aspect of this, especially of a smaller charity like this who does great work, but doesn't have the reach of, you know, a, uh, I don't know, a Red Cross telephone drive on PBS, right? That, that it's, <laughs> you just don't have that. Yeah, difference. So you have still- to do what you can to get the word out. 
And, you know, while it, it might cause you to make some choices about, well, we can't really support that. We don't have the resources. We have to support this thing over here because that's where we're going to actually get resources is, is by helping out with this thing that everyone knows about. Mm -hmm. um, that choice probably feels weird, but it's the right choice. It's yeah. absolutely the right choice. Yeah. And like we wish that we could have a successful campaign for everyone who needs help, but the visibility is definitely an issue. It's, it's just reality, it's... like you say. Yeah. But that's why we have our, our ongoing initiatives so that we have some money set aside to help people who don't have the advantage of multi-million dollar news networks publishing their stuff. Sure. So sure and 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 doing things that just like with the homeschooling thing that's a that's something that's dominated in a lot of ways by um and this isn't i'm not this isn't a knock on homeschooling but i will say the organizations that sort of dominate that area are interested in things that aren't uh purely charitable mm -hmm. a lot of the organizations that that sort of dominate that area are are either religiously interested or they're politically interested and i don't see that here I see people who want to help people. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's one of the reasons we went with the, the 501c3 is because then we're not allowed to be uh, politically one way or the other or this party or that party. We have to stay politically neutral in order to keep that. And I mean, religious, we've, we've got agnostics, atheists, Christians, Mormons. And another cool thing is that no one at Volunteerism in Action is paid. We're all volunteers. So we all have real jobs. And this is just something we do purely to help people because we want to. So you're not the, the sort of unspoken thing under the surface there is nobody's doing this for a check. Right. This isn't nobody's nobody's doing this to make their living. They're doing it because they want to. Yeah. You don't don't help people for for a living. You know. Well, yeah. this is one of the things that if you if you dig through a lot of five hundred one Cs or or if you if you uh, if you dig through a lot of charities generally and you go download their, you can download as a PDF their pay rates, their pay schedules, mm -hmm. and people are making millions of dollars. Yeah, from the working big ones. for charity. That's true. At the yeah, at the big ones. Uh, and and it's it's a little you look at that and it's like, well, is that Best use Are of you your doing... money, really? Yeah. Yeah. Not only the best use of the money, but also, are you doing that much work when you're, uh, you know, a, a let's just say like a spokesperson for the Red Cross? You go on TV, what, every week or so? Like, are are you really? Mm. Yeah. Do, do you need that? It, it, it's it's one of those things. It gets weird in charity. If it were just a business, who cares? But. <laughs> In charity, it yeah. feels weird. It does. They're giving you the money to help other people. Helping yourself with that money, I, to me, it would feel weird. But that's that's one neat thing about about having um, the market is that you can, like you said, you can look around, and you can find okay, how much of this money is actually going to charity, and how much is going into the pockets of the people who run it, and you know, maybe someone is just fine with that. You know what? They're doing this great work. 
they can have some of the money. I don't care about that. And it's a scale thing too. Like, you know, the bigger an organization is, the more money it takes to run it. So maybe, maybe they're fine with some massive portion of that going to, uh, you know, resources for, uh, overhead basically. And Mm -hmm. whatever that overhead may be, it's one of those things that you have to look at aside for yourself. Yeah. True. True. And I'm not even against, I'm not even going to, I'm not even against people getting paid for their time. If what you do is you work at a charity, I mean, yeah, get paid for your time. That's fine. But it's, it's, it's different when you pull down like the people on the boards of these charities making millions of dollars. And it's like, that's not getting paid for your time. That's, <laughs> that's making yeah. money. <laughs> put that much time into it. Yeah, yeah and then, exactly. And then again, even there, we can compare it with uh, government welfare or public aid as they call it, because then you, you don't even know how much the person is getting. And all of that money is not donated. It's taken from people in taxes. Right. And again, there's that incentive problem that we mentioned earlier, because the more people are on the welfare rolls getting that public aid, the more money they get. So the incentive is to keep people on the public aid to keep those roles expanding and and the incentive structure is there too on the on the recipient of that of that welfare the 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 there is an incentive there and I'm not I'm not casting aspersions at people who need assistance that's not what I'm saying at all no. but there is an incentive there to stay on it or to increase it or or whatever that may be we did see this with the uh, with the covid um with the uh what was it? unemployment benefits that people were getting were more than they were getting at their job before COVID. So there were places that were trying to open back up and bring their people back. And the people were saying, nah, I'm making more money staying at home. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly a perverse incentive of that kind of system. Yeah. I've known that to happen even before COVID. You know, I've known people who, you know, I just need, I just need this boost to, to get through. And I, I don't want to take this money from the government, but you know, it's either that or feed my family. And then I've known people who are like, no, I, I can't get a better job because then I'm not going to get that check from the government. I'll be making too much money. Right. So perverse incentive. And there's a there's so. a bubble there. There's a bubble there where people who people who do need assistance, but they exist on the bubble where it's like, if I take on another part-time job, my net decreases mm. because I'm gonna be making too much for the government to give me the money, but not enough. To match what I have right now. That is a bubble that exists in the system. It exists in the tax system as well. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Mm. So it's it's a it's a very uh, it's a strange thing. But those some of those initiatives, I'm I'm sort of looking through under your uh, your causes section on the website. That's viaction.org. Um, mm-hmm. Under your causes section, I'm looking through some of these, and I'm. This is this is just great stuff, man. Thank you. Absolutely wonderful. And, and the last thing, the community development stuff, keeping things local too. I love seeing that too. I'm sorry, continue. I was going to say the last thing we do is we try to let people know about voluntarist and liberty philosophy generally, because I think it's part and parcel with the way we do things and how we do things and how we try to help people is that message of liberty. And that's one, I think one of the big problems that people often have when they hear about libertarians or voluntarists and they say, oh, well, all that's good in theory, but how's any of that actually going to work? 
And we try to show that through philosophy articles, through our actions, and try to spread the message of liberty. We've got some really good folks who are our, our meme lords, and almost all they do is make these great memes that we're always pushing out. I don't know how they make so many, but but it's amazing. So we're always getting those out. <laughs> this is the, the first one on the page I'm scrolling through, September 15th. The, the, <laughs> the secret ingredient is crime. Uh, whenever someone says the government does better than the private sector, but you know why it looks that way, the secret ingredient is crime. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, and yeah. true. <laughs> Very true. Um, that's excellent. Um, so I was looking. Oh, I'm, I've mentioned your Twitter a couple of times there. That's at act voluntarily at act voluntarily there's no no symbols just those letters act voluntarily um excellent excellent account not enough followers not nearly enough followers uh twitter i don't know for whatever reason we've got we're also on MeWe and instagram and facebook and for whatever reasons we have a lot more followers on there i don't know it's just the the twitter vibe but you know well, Twitter can can kind of silo a little bit. It's sort of the the nature of the beast on Twitter is that things can kind of get siloed and they don't get pushed by the algorithm as much as they mm. probably could otherwise. Um, but I've I have followed your your page on there, Act Voluntarily, for a while, and I really really like the work that you guys do. Talk to me a little bit more about the philosophical aspect. So you were talking about how. Um, Sort of the third leg, I guess, of of your of your work is is trying to get the philosophy out there more. This idea of voluntarism. What mm-hmm. I guess I should ask you personally, what what brought you to voluntarism? Well, <clears throat> vol- like voluntarism as in the liberty theories generally, or VIA specifically. Um, let let's say general. Okay, well, general, I kind of grew up in um, kind of a conservative household and, you know, taught and believed, you know, constitution protects our rights and, and all of that, you know, military keeps us safe and yes, all, all of that stuff. And then, then I grew up and went to school and got a job and started realizing seeing more of life, the things that the government was doing and not doing. And I kind of thought, well, you know, nothing's perfect. This is just you know, the best, you know, best thing we have and such and such. And then I had some friends who were, I think they weren't even libertarian. They were straight up anarchists. And so they started sharing things with me about, anarchist stuff mostly through memes and i said what no that's not that's not true it's not like that and then they started out of that moment that that uh what is that the luke skywalker moment where you're first faced with anarchism and it's it's not true it is impossible (laughs) but then i've uh, like you i've always been a reader so they started recommending these books to me you know started with Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrugged and went to uh, The Law, Frederick Bastiat, and then mm. Leonard Reed. And 
started going further and further, got me into Mises and Rothbard and the more, especially of Rothbard, the more I read, the more I just realized this is not, like, logically, he's absolutely right. Like, there's no way yeah. I can take apart this, this pattern of liberty that he has. And it's, it's relatively unassailable because it is so consistent. Exactly. And it, that is, was what, it is so internally consistent. Mm-hmm. And that was what really, really impressed me because I came to realize that all of the arguments for the state and for the government, not governmental functions, but the organization, the government, they all involved special pleading of one kind or another. This isn't right when someone else does it, but it's okay when the government does it. Well, this is, we should government. compromise our morals in this way because whatever practicality or, or whatever, whatever they believe the practicality of the situation to be, mm-hmm. we have to compromise our morals here, here, and here in order to have a military, in order to have roads, in order to have, because morally everything that, that everything that's built up to that so far, we would say is morally reprehensible. Mm-hmm. But we have to compromise on those morals here, 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 and here because uh, I can't imagine another way we could possibly have a military. Yeah. If, um, if we don't, of course, terrible things are going to happen. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the sky will fall. The, 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 the government holds up the sky. And as soon as you get rid of the government, the sky comes down. Mm-hmm. That, that seems to be the, the position from which people approach the conversation. Yeah. And, and Rothbard was the first person I ever read who was perfectly consistent in that and said, no, this is wrong, even if the government does it. And who not only did that, but who said, it doesn't have to be that way. Here are some other ways that things could work without one organization having a monopoly on violence. And right. new world opened up. Yeah, it, it was amazing. It feels like a- it feels like a different world because in a way it's like reading about an alternate universe. Um, it's, it's like reading about an alternate universe in which you get rid of this idea of the monopoly on legitimate violence. And as soon as you get rid of that idea, as soon as you say that's a no-go, the universe that gets built up around that um, is the same in a lot of ways as the one we live in now, but there's something fundamental at the core that's slightly different that sort of changes it in a way that makes it feel foreign and makes it feel, uh, uh, and I think it's why people respond in the way that we were talking about where they respond like, no, there's no way. Well, it's because that little core thing has changed, but if you build up the world around that, it, it works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's because, because the state is so omnipresent that people have a hard time even conceiving of a world where it's not there. But this is something Asarchus likes to say when people are talking about roads or whatever, the internet, or he likes to, I believe Ace says this, he might've gotten it from somewhere. I don't know. He's prolific in his own right. But he mm-hmm. says, uh, if the government made bread, you would be arguing that that's the only way we would have bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, oh, what was I going to say? I'm sorry, I broke in there. Too, that was too good of a point. It just <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's Ace. I, what can I tell you, man? He's, yeah, yeah, he's, he's incredible. Great. Yeah, he's great. Um, but yeah, the, uh, you were talking about you 
you kind of came to Rothbard and sort of began to understand this idea of getting rid of the monopoly on violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember what I was going to say is that he made the point that really resonated with me that liberty is the natural state of mankind and that we don't have to give that up to have the nice things. In fact, that always makes it worse because of the nature of the state. And uh, his book, Anatomy of the State, that drew it out really clearly and concisely what the state is, is a parasite, a predatory organization, and society just doesn't need it. Uh, one of one of my favorite quotes from Rothbard, because you know it's really it's a tough battle trying to teach people and convince them, as we were talking about earlier. But Rothbard said that uh, libertarianism, broadly speaking, will win eventually because it and only it is compatible with the nature of mankind and reality. And that really resonates with me when you see the latest terrible thing that the government is doing. Eventually, it will win because it can't be another way and humanity is surviving and thriving. It, 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 the nation state as we imagine it today is a relatively recent innovation in human history. Um, it's, it's not an old thing. It's a very new thing on the long, sort of on the long tail of anatomically modern humans. Uh, on the long tail of our existence, the nation state is a recent innovation. It's an experiment. And, and I think the point that, that Rothbard's making there, and, 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 I, and I'm probably the point that you're making, is that this is an experiment that's doomed to fail. It's, it's wholly incompatible with everything that we are. If you, if you read something like The Moral Animal, which is one of my favorite books on the subject, or um, I actually am, am almost finished reading The Social Leap, Another great book. I can't remember the author of that book. I know Robert Wright wrote The Moral Animal, but I can't remember uh, Socially. But the Socially talks about this idea that like early, early anatomically modern man invented uh, the separation, like an, uh, oh, I can't remember the term for it now. Um, Specialization of skills in an economy. There's a specific term for that, and I can't remember what it is. But uh, I mean, but this was invented. They, they had their elephant butchery sites from early man. Division of labor. Is that it? Division of labor. That's the term. Yes. It was invented by very, very early man. There are elephant butchery sites with stations. And each individual station would have a different job at mm-hmm. this station. And you can see the, the site is... is, is it, it looks like a factory. It, it, it's, it's like you go from one station to the next and everyone's doing a different job. Mm-hmm. And that was early man invented that. We're designed to be sort of this pro-social species. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible thing. And, and again, moral animal, I can't recommend enough. But in any case, I, I think that's a very salient point. This idea that, that using a monopolization of violence to accomplish these things is not compatible with who we are as an animal. Mm-hmm. Especially since in the state, it doesn't attract the people who are best at doing a certain job it attracts people who want power to do things and i'm not saying that every person in government is a power hungry megalomaniac some people really want 
to help other people to be good at whatever job they do. But the overwhelming majority of people it attracts, or I should say it attracts a preponderance of people to the state because they know people can't say no to their edicts. Or they think even, even if we were to, even if we were to give them the benefit of the doubt, um, which I don't necessarily think we should, but even if we were going to do that, we would say they think they know better and they want to be in a position where they can tell you what better is. Mm -hmm. And that is, it, it, and it might come from a place where they truly think they know better, but they don't. <laughs> Boy, if we haven't seen that over the past year and a half, let me tell you. We we were talking a little bit earlier about some of the of the of the COVID stuff. What have you seen, especially? Um, uh, I don't know what you do in your personal life, in your in your sort of uh, in what your day job is. As you said, you've all got day jobs, and I don't know what that day job is. So I don't know what you would have seen there. But from the position of working at VIA and 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 other things, how what what's how have you seen this affecting? How have you seen the government's response to COVID? And I use those words on purpose because COVID didn't shut down the economy. The government did. Mm -hmm. um, what have you seen sort of happening in the world, just from your perspective? Well, what I've seen, I guess there's three things that come to mind. The first, yeah, especially, especially at the beginning, but I think it's been an ongoing, is a tremendous outpouring of people trying to help each other you know even even little things you know, at the beginning um, there wasn't i think this big divide where some people think that it's a matter of life and death and other people think this is all completely bogus i think most people thought okay this is really serious we got to pull together we got to we got to beat this and just like the outpouring of of caring from people like during the lockdowns you had like big name professional actors and comedians and singers doing free online shows you know we're all we're all in this together we're going to we're going to help you guys get through this this is going to be you know, this is going to be a triumph for mankind you know or whatever but sure, sure. Well, people just putting a pin in that for just a moment remember where you were because that you, you made me have a thought the idea that that sort of thing is very reminiscent of what we're talking about with the way that man is. We want to be a pro-social species, but mm -hmm. it, it seems to me that that initial, that initial instinct was subverted in a way by the powers that be, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, it, it seems like, because that, that initial instinct is a good instinct, this idea that we can work together and win. It's a good instinct. Mm-hmm. It seems to have been weaponized, though, in a way. I'm sorry, continue with the, yeah. you. You said there were three things, and that was well, the only no, one. <laughs> I agree, because as, as time went on, uh, more and more people started to need help. As people weren't allowed, you know, a lot of children, like you said, school lunch program, and parents counted that to feed their kids, and now schools are closed. So all of a sudden, they don't have any money to buy food. Or well, you can't go to work for a couple of weeks and now a month and now two months and three months. And they're running out of money for rent, for food, or maybe your business got shut down completely. That happened to 
a lot of people. And I think it's really easy to forget because it's not constantly on the mainstream media. So not only that, but if you don't live, if you don't often find yourself in an area like, uh, well, here in Midtown Houston, um, there was a barber shop in, uh, in, in an apartment complex that I was at a lot. And going over there, that barber shop had been there for as long as I've been there, which wasn't long, but it was, you know, about a year. And that barber shop's gone now. Mm-hmm. There was always a lady standing out in front waiting on somebody to get their hair cut. And she's just not there anymore. And everything from inside of it is gone. And you see that kind of thing and, and you look across the street and McDonald's is still there. Amazon's still there, but this lady's barbershop is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that ties into the third thing, which is donations are way down from last year and previous years. And I think it's because people just don't, well, first, they just don't have as much money because of what the government has been doing. And second, because they don't know, is there going to be another lockdown this winter? Am I going to be able to make more money? And so they're more hesitant to be able to give and help other people because they don't know if they'll be able to help themselves in the next month. And again, like you said, that's not because of the coronavirus. That's because of what the government did. The coronavirus, that at the beginning, that caused everyone to band together. We're all going to help. We're all going to get through this. And what the government has done since, even if they had the best of intentions, has still been ruining far more lives than it's been saving. Oh, it's been absolutely ruinous. You look at some of the, you look at some of the statistics for, um, addiction, alcoholism, uh, you look at the statistics for domestic abuse, you look at the statistics for uh, suicide. It, it, was, it, was, it was a mainstream story for a hot minute when Nevada had to open up schools again because they had a rash of suicides among students. Um, and it forced them to reopen their schools. And that was, a, that was a headline story for three days, maybe four days. Yeah. And it's back to this many new cases. Cases. Everyone's focused on cases. Nobody cares about the fact that deaths are way, way, way. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, we spent uh, another another hour talking about that. <laughs> about the way the the statistics are being tortured throughout this whole thing. But but mm-hmm. the the it's interesting that you mentioned that that idea that I've I've noticed from other places too that 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 people are being. Um, I was about to use the word stingy, but that's got a negative connotation. People are hesitant to let go of money now. Because they don't know what's going to happen next. We have this issue um, going to school. We get this COVID update email every. Uh, every uh, my girlfriend and I are in law school. We get this. We get this COVID update email every week. And every time we open that email, we're scared that they're saying we're going back to Zoom. Hmm. Every single time we get that email, we we're we're wondering: Is this the one? Is this the one where they say we're not coming back? Um, and that's hanging over people's heads. Yeah. So I can understand why donations would be down. Yeah, you can't can't blame them. But it's a it's a sad situation. I don't know where it's going to end up because you have you have such polar polar opposites on the face of the planet. The Nordic countries, Denmark and Sweden and Norway, they've gotten rid of all of their restrictions, all of it, 
they're not doing anything. They're not having vaccines. They even had them to begin with. Yes, a lot of them. A lot of them didn't. I think I read Denmark. uh, They've just lumped COVID in with the seasonal flu-like illnesses. It's not. It's not its own thing anymore. It's just part of. uh, Part of the. The normal cycle. And I think too is it's, and this is the the this kind of sort of Damocles situation where everyone is concerned that the next thing that happens is they tell you you can't go to work tomorrow. Um, Mm -hmm. that 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 situation is entirely, it's unnecessary because the 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 truth of the matter is, and this is something that I've been saying uh, uh, in a few different places, and a lot of people have been saying, this is endemic at this point. There's no such thing as COVID zero. It's never going to happen. You can't get rid of it. Uh, and they keep they keep phrasing it like a war. You know, we've got to win this war against COVID. And it's literally, you're right, it's not going to go away. It's a war you can't win. And that's literally out of George Orwell's 1984. The war is not meant to be won. It's meant to be continuous. Right. That's exactly one of the things that we've seen. And I'm... You know, it's one of those things where I think I think there's multiple reasons for it. There are political reasons for it. I hesitate. I tend to hesitate when people say, well, they just want to they just want to see what they can. They just want to see how hard they can push people. I don't know if that's a smart way to run an experiment anyway. So I, I hesitate to say that it's that. I, I think it's more that there are political and uh, and and fiscal benefits to maintaining a certain background level of anxiety in the population <laughs> you know what i mean and 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 to be able to flip that switch and sort of bring that up with a headline or whatever and just sort of you're able to turn the knobs and dials of anxiety and fear in a population yeah. um in that way and i think there are benefits to that political and fiscal and that's what is why they maintain this they did the same thing with terrorism if you remember that was Every time the anniversary of 9-11 came around, there was going to be an attack every single time. And it never happened. Yeah. Keeping people scared enough to rely on you for protection, but not so scared that they're cowering in fear all the time. Right. I think that's why, because I've noticed, of course, the opposite end of the Nordic countries is Australia right now, which is literally oh, a police state with new south wales in particular is a there's that new south wales in particular is is a it's it's the worst nightmare for people who are afraid of governments with too much power Mm -hmm. and correct me if i'm wrong because i don't watch the mainstream news very often but it seems like they're not really covering either end of the spectrum they're not paying any attention to the nordic countries because that would be obviously bad for their narrative because they're not oh, doing terrible for the narrative. Fine. But it seems like yeah. they're also not covering Australia either. Nope. And no, they're not. They're, they'll they'll the mention that there they'll mention that there was a protest. And that's as far as it goes. Yeah. They don't um, mention that the police suppressed it with gunfire and they're currently going door to door to make sure people are in their houses. It's exactly right. They don't mention that part. They mention the bit about there being a protest because that's titillating. And then they skip the rest. They, they're not concerned about it. Um, one of the things I've noticed in the mainstream, too, is, is the, they'll focus on things like um, Florida, for example, uh, uh, 
when we were talking about this uh, a little earlier, we spent about two minutes before we started talking about sort of what we were going to talk about a little bit, not much. Um, but you had mentioned Florida in particular. One of the things I've, I've, that I saw and that I've seen with the coverage of Florida in particular is that people are treating Florida as if it's this terrible, horrible, awful place with piled corpses and yada, yada, yada. But if you actually look at the data, they're in the middle of the pack as far as the United States is concerned. They're doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it's it's so strange to me that they can just manipulate that and nobody cares. <laughs> I've I've seen a lot of charts shared by such people and they always list like they always put Florida at the top with the number of deaths and then some other states below it. But they don't include all of the states. And when you get all of the states in there, especially age adjusted, because they got a lot of old people in Florida. People they like do. to retire there. So even considering that they're doing really well and you can stack it up with places like California who have had all kinds of crazy restrictions and they're not, they're not really doing any worse. Certainly if all of the restrictions and mask mandates and vaccinations were as effective as they say they are, you'd think they'd be doing a heck of a lot better than places that aren't doing any of those things. You would expect that there would be some correlation, but it turns out there's really not. If you if you put states that that had very heavy lockdowns, very heavy restrictions, um, if you put those states on the same graph with states that didn't, there's no real correlation. They're they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, it it depends more on things like a, the age of the population, uh, how healthy is the population, how much comorbidity is there just floating around in the population before COVID. Um, it depends on a lot of factors and how hard you locked down and how many events you canceled and how many people whose, uh, whose jobs you killed, uh, turns out it doesn't really matter all that much (laughs) as all these other things. Unless you totally isolate people and lock everyone in their houses. But at that point, they're not even, uh, it's not even worth being alive. I would say not even Uh, anymore. You're at the most unfree point of the unfree life uh, outside of being in prison mm-hmm. um, <laughs> because you are. You're, you're on house arrest, effectively. Actually, yes. Um, it's it's the, the inability or, the, or rather the dishonesty of, of a lot of the coverage that I've seen. And, and I, think it's, I think that's instrumental in, in some of the trends that you talked about seeing or you're seeing fewer donations and things like that. People are scared. Uh, people don't want to let that money go. People don't want. People don't know if they're going to work tomorrow. And I think that's just how. I think that's at the moment just how they want it. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe, and you know, they being hope. the government, the people in, yeah. in control. Yeah. yeah, and we can hope that more people will catch on, realize what's going on. But I think I think there's the possibility of them trying to crack down like in Australia and things get much, much worse. And I think there's the possibility of like the Nordic countries, them just saying that the government saying, you know what, ah, this isn't really working after all. So it's all going to go away. But then there's, I think the more likely possibility of it kind of just fading into the background a little bit, but them ready to snap their fingers and bring it all back in an instant. And I think it'll that seem sort of- better because people kind of kind of forget about it and they'll think oh, okay we're we're back to normal now but 
the precedent will be there and they're ready to bring it back at any time they really think is convenient because that's the terrifying part is there there are a lot of precedents that have been set during this whole thing um the 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 idea that you can just shut down whole sectors of the economy on the basis that they're not uh well what was the word they used essential essential. yeah the idea that you can just shut down entire sectors of an economy on the basis that they're non-essential it blows my mind yeah it's that's the kind of thing that someone who doesn't understand anything about economics would say because if something isn't essential to the person who's doing it or the person who's receiving the service it's not going to get done yeah and that people say oh as entertainment try to live your life without any entertainment <laughs> it's not going to last it's no long. good no. it's no good <laughs> no. no yeah i I see it. I see uh, certain kinds of law students uh, will undertake that experiment in the belief that it's going to make them uh, do way better in school and they end up doing okay. They're not, mm. <laughs> it's not really worth it. We need that. We need that as people. Yeah. Is that uh... it's a, it's, I just don't, uh, um, and it makes, it creates the one thing that I'm, I'm, you know, if we're looking for silver linings, it creates all the more need for organizations like VIA. When you have a situation where you've got a lot of people being made desperate by circumstances out of their control, mm-hmm. um, it creates all that much more need, especially with the school thing. You, you, uh, you, the organization working with homeschooling and, and trying to get those resources into people's hands, there's a lot of people who don't trust the school system anymore. Yeah, and who can blame them after the past? Absolutely no one. On that, yeah, that made me think too of the fourth possibility that I had mentioned earlier of all of this going, and that's just secession. People deciding, you know, okay, you guys, California, New England, you can go and do these lockdowns every winter when people get the flu again. We're going to go over to Texas and Florida, and we're going to do what we want. We're just going to live our lives. Yeah. And even at some point, uh, breaking off from the federal government and saying, yeah. you know, we just, we don't want to be part of the union anymore. Thanks. And we're out of here. So long. Thanks for the fish. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things that it seems to me like an inevitability at some point. Um, I, I, I would hesitate to put a timeline on it, but it, it seems like there is so much, um, Cultural, social, economic, everything. There, there's so much polarization that's happened, especially since 2016. 2016 broke a lot of people's brains. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's been so much polarization since. Uh, I, I, you know, the, 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 famous, the famous Lincoln quote is a house divided against itself cannot stand. It's already divided against itself. There's no... I don't know that you can turn back the clock on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the ultimately, if if that's a if that statement is correct, it cannot stand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens next is is ultimately the question. A, a, a peaceful divorce is uh, kind of the I say the meme. It's not a joke, but it's a it's a meme in the true sense of the word meme. Um, the peaceful divorce is kind of the meme that's going around, and I think it's. Uh, I think it's likely, I hope it's peaceful. 
Yeah, that, that would be nice. Yeah. And you know, we have we have a saying that we push as part of our volunteers philosophy. We probably weren't the first ones to word it this way, but it's that good ideas don't require force. Good ideas you, do not require force. Exactly. And if they think this that the federal government, this union of states is such a good idea, well then you wouldn't have to force people to be part of it. And if the yes. state wants to leave, forcing them to stay kind of is an admission that it's not good enough for them to want to stay. Nobody forced me to join Sam's club. <laughs> mm. I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of the difference is that if, yeah. if people want to be a part of your thing, they'll try to be a part of your thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm just like, it's the, the overarching philosophy. We were talking about how it's, it's internally consistent unto itself. And I think that everything that we can see around us is kind of proof of that. The idea that you start holding guns to people's heads and things just don't work right. Yeah. Things just don't work how they're, how even under the best case, things do not work how you intended them to (laughs) at the very least. Yeah. It's like you keep saying that humans are social creatures, but threatening someone with violence is not a social thing to do. And that's what the state is all about. Even though people don't realize it, everything the state does is backed up by a policeman with a gun. Every, every law is ultimately backed by a gun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there is no, no such thing as a law that is not mm-hmm. backed by violence. No. And that's not any kind of way to run a society. And it's, it's not needed. You know, just like people voluntarily donate to us because they want to help people. People want roads, they want the nation to be safe. They protect the borders and all of that. They want even some people who don't think they want police. Uh, they want, they don't want the government's police, but they want someone mm-hmm. who can protect them. They want protection of one kind or another. They do. And that's something that people will find a way to get something in a way that they want to have, like you said, not the way that the government thinks is best for them. This is something that, I mean, look in my own life. And I, I wrote a piece after I kind of thought, after I kind of realized this, I, I wrote a piece about the, the idea that I was served by cooperatives up until I moved uh, here I've been served by cooperatives for some essential thing my entire life. I was I was born, I spent the first five years of my life in rural Oklahoma. Telecom co-op, electric co-op, everything was a co-op. I moved to West Texas, my electric was still a co-op. Um, I mean, it, it's one of those things where people people can come together to get what they need. Mm-hmm. And they want to. It's it's part of our desire as people to come together to get what we need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think you know. I think we're we're an example of that. And I think if even you know, we like to say you know, get the government out of the way. You know, but even if we even if we just got some more space from the government to do things like this, I think more and more people would be on board with that. Like, I mean, even... Well, 
I was saying it it proves your point that that you've built a number of things with regard to this organization on the internet, on the idea of crypto, on you get some space from government and you can immediately start making a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even, I mean, let's, let's take baby steps. Let's not say, well, I get rid of the government. Let's say, let's have some competition. Let's say just not have a monopoly on police services or court services or defense or was it notary services and things like that. Postal service arbitration, stuff like that. Exactly. Exactly. Let's give people the option. And if, if the government services are so great, then they can keep paying for them. And if not, then they can choose what they want to do. There are cases where that's already the case. I know uh, in, in, in my time learning, you know, going to law school and I'm, I'm very interested in like contracts and stuff like that in my time sort of learning about that. Most disputes of these kinds are solved in private arbitration anyway. And, and a lot, and one thing that will happen a lot will be the courts will say, we don't want to hear this dispute right now. Go to arbitration first. If arbitration fails, then you can come to the court. That's that competition. And, and frankly, it, it looks like the private system is winning <laughs> because not even the courts want to hear these disputes. They're sending people to private arbitration. <laughs> mm, nice. That's really cool. That's good to know. Yeah, it, it's it's good proof sort of for for the, the philosophy that that you're talking about, this idea that if we just get a little bit of competition in, stuff ramps up real fast. Um, and private arbitration is one of those things. Uh, and I think, I, 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 frankly, you're in competition at, at VIA. You're in competition with government. Can we provide these things to people better than them? And I, I think the answer, even with as limited as the resources of VIA are right now, and I say right now because I do believe that this organization, organizations like this are the future of charities. Um, but even with as limited as those resources happen to be at the moment, you're already doing better. <laughs> I guarantee I guarantee that you are spending the money in a much more economical way and making more difference per dollar than the government could ever dream of. Well, we certainly like to think so. And from what I see of the government, that's almost certain. <laughs> But, Absolutely. You know, I, can, I, 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 oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, I can guarantee any of your listeners, any of our listeners, if you want to come donate, we can guarantee results. It's going to get to someone who needs it. And, you know, if, if you want it to go to a certain place, you know, to the crypto for the African village or, you know, someone local in, your neighborhood. And, you know, even if, even if you don't go through us, if you know someone locally that you want to help, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. And, you know, we love to make a difference through our organization, but if you guys do it individually, that has just as much, if not more power. And there are a number of people who I've, I've seen on Liberty Twitter is really good about this, about, um, sharing GoFundMes yes. and and things like that for people who really need help in the community. Uh, I believe, I think the last one that I saw that really got some traction was, I believe I could be totally wrong about this. I think it was Duncan Limp's uh, girlfriend, uh, Duncan Limp, Limp, who was uh, killed by police. Yeah. 
Um, I think that's the last one I saw that really got a lot of traction and spread. And it's, it's great to see that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I know I've even seen, I think it was, um, I think it was road to serfdom. Um, the guy with that viral tweet about, uh, yeah, <laughs> movement, movement licenses, not uh, vaccine yeah, yeah. That he he was having a hard time, you know, just uh, just meeting a, a monthly bill, and he's like, you know, I I really hate to to ask this of you guys. Uh, here's a GoFundMe if you can spare a couple dollars. And you know, I saw that, and I private messaged him, and it's like, hey, you know, if the if the GoFundMe doesn't cover it, just reach out to us, and he. Uh, direct message me back and he said actually it's it's already been funded it's only been like a day <laughs> so uh, that was amazing didn't even uh, i get a chance to do it because everyone was already so generous and helped him directly so oh that's glorious that's my eyes are stinging actually <laughs> hearing that that's that's absolutely wonderful you guys and the fact that you dm like would DM and be like, hey, if 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 you need a little bit, need a little bit extra, let us know. That's there that there's a level of I don't know. I know I know in DMing you, I there was no sort of pretense of 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 like trying to pretend that it's like the Red Cross, some big organization that's you know, whatever. It's a person. I know I was DMing with a person. Um when I was DMing with you. I I I so I, I know seeing that kind of thing, that, that this is a, it feels personal. It's a lot of the projects that you're doing are sort of hyper-local sort of things are focused on, on getting with people on the ground. Um, that's important. It's very important that, that it's not, it's not a faceless thing. This is, this is people helping people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where the impact is both to the person who's helped and it also makes a difference to the person who is helping. You know, I firmly believe that, giving help, whether it's you know, directly giving someone food or giving money, giving time, I believe it makes the giver a better person as well. Yeah. It's one of those things we, there's, there's something that feels good about it when you know you've helped someone there, there's, there's something about that. It engenders a, I don't know. It, it, there's, there's a part of us that really, really likes that. It's, it's, I, I, I think it's the best part of us that 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 feels good like that when we know we've helped and when you post a picture of a kid with these books super happy to have them obviously you know you've helped someone or you've helped someone and that's incredible. Mhm. Yeah, I agree and that's what we're going for. So we love to do. That's uh you you said you to donate to the organization that's viaction.org/donate. Mm-hmm. You have, I'm looking right here. You have, you guys have monthly plans. You can do a one-time donation or you can donate on a monthly basis, which actually I think I'm going to sign up. I think I'm going to sign up to give you guys money monthly. I, I know, I think I've Thank donated you. Uh, to you once before, but I'm not positive about that. Don't hold me to that. If you go looking through records, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think I might say, I mean, it's what's 10 bucks a month. What's that? It's nothing Yeah. for a lot of people. That's, that's nothing. That's, you're not even going to notice that that's, less than hulu <laughs> that's true that's true <laughs> and if you're interested in in specific things like you say we've got those initiatives that you can donate directly to and the money will go right to that and even if you just want to follow us on social media you know in a 
when a big thing happens, we usually put out a fundraiser to help people affected by it. Storms, fires, natural disasters, unnatural disasters. Yeah. <laughs> unnatural disasters is a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, uh, I do want to look you, you guys do have a, a thing here that calls out in particular, irrespective of color, race, religion, or political beliefs, complete strangers follow the, uh, follow the compassion in their hearts that drives them to engage in a simple act, lending a hand to a fellow human. That's, uh, that's meaningful. Yeah. I mean, I think especially a lot of, a lot of people nowadays, political divides are where it's at what's really dividing people you know it used to be color of religion but i think politics is the big one now and it is you know a, a lot of our donors are conservative or liberty-minded but some of them are leftists or liberals too and if someone comes to us for our help we don't we don't go through their twitter or facebook making sure they have the right kinds of opinions someone needs help <laughs> and they come to us if we have the resources, they're going to get the help. If we we do vet people though to make sure they're not uh, that they're not just trying to take advantage of us because we value of course. the money we get, and we do have yeah. some people who well, you, have you have to do that as though. as a service to the people who donate. You have to make sure that that's going where they think it's going. Mm-hmm. That you have to make sure that that's going where the people who donate want it to go, and that's to helping people. And if someone's trying to take advantage, you got to make sure that's not happening. It's it's. If you didn't do that, it would be a betrayal to the donors. So it's that's true. Absolutely it's, necessary. It's always a little awkward. Awkward though, like someone comes asking for you know like a laptop for their kids. Like if we if we just gave you a tablet for them like last month. <laughs> yeah. What's the what? Yeah. Uh, so it's what, always what, awkward. What? I have to kind of turn those down, but. Fortunately, I'm just the guy who does the publishing stuff. I don't have to do that part. So, yeah. Well, it's one of those things that just like that. I'm, there are tough decisions when you're when you're dealing with this kind of when you're trying to be charitable. There are there are tough decisions. I mean, even even someone who donates to your organization are doing so. They're they're that money's finite. So they're making a choice. There are tough choices that have to be made in this kind of thing. And and I trust based on not only speaking to you, but, but being familiar with your presence on Twitter and, and, and sort of some of the projects that you have going, I trust that those decisions are being made in good conscience and, and with forethought and foresight and, and being made uh, purposefully so that the most good can be done across the board. Thank you. That really, that means a lot. I feel it. But... <laughs> well, I, I, I do. Because I, everyone knows these choices are hard. But it's it's one of those things that you gotta just do doing the best that you possibly can. And I trust that that volunteerism in action does the best that it possibly can in making those choices. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I know we really try to. Speaking of hard choices though, I love talking to you and we should do it again. But I can hear my kids <laughs> upstairs, they're awake from their nap. So <laughs> Okay. Well, we've been going we've been going for uh for it's over been... an hour now at this point. So it's it's a pleasure speaking to you. I'm so happy we we're finally able to do it. I am so sorry that it was delayed. Life um, happens. Yeah. Life does happen, and mm-hmm. you've been very understanding about that, and I cannot thank you enough. I'm so happy to bring the show back with you. 
I think that's uh, I think this is an important episode to have be the first one back. It's because I know there are people who've been waiting on more episodes and um, I'm very happy that for those that are listening to this who don't know about this organization, they now do. And like I said, I'm, I'm immediately after we're done here. I'm giving you 10 bucks a month, man. That's oh, it's ridiculous that I'm not already. I'm, what am I what am I paying for? What, uh, what's Netflix doing for me? Absolutely nothing. You're out here helping people, and that's more, far, far more important than anything else. That's more important than two Starbucks drinks a month. <laughs> thank you so much. We really appreciate it. I know the people we help do, too. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for being here. I'm, absolutely, I'm, Dean. Man, you're an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks.